And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Today we are talking about the wee little man, Zacchaeus. Um, Sohan Singh has uh, banned customers from his grocery store in England. He told a London newspaper that he was forced to take such drastic action because of people's bad manners. First, he banned smoking, which this was, you know, a while ago now. Smoking is banned just about everywhere in public. But he banned smoking, then crude language, then baby strollers, and then pets. And finally, he banned customers themselves. Shoppers must look through a window at the items, and, and if they spot something they want, they can ring a bell, and he will serve them through a small hatch in the door. He says, I've lost business, but I cannot say how much. I am a man of principles, and I stand by my decision. Well, it seems to me that a grocer who bans customers from a store has lost sight of his purpose. If your aim is to sell groceries, then you're going to have to put up with some people that you may dislike in order to achieve your purpose. Well, just like that grocer, many churches have forgotten their Savior's purpose. To seek and to save the lost. Uh, We don't like the sinful habits and the worldly ways of outsiders. And if they want to come to the door of the church and tell us how we can help them, we will try to serve them. But otherwise, let them shop elsewhere. After all, we must maintain our principles. Well, the Lord Jesus always kept in view the purpose of His coming to earth. He states it clearly in verse 10. This is actually the theme verse for the book of Luke. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now Jesus is stating his purpose in response to the crowd. They grumbled that he had gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. The chief tax collector, his name was Zacchaeus. And Jesus is saying, precisely, I'm going to be the guest of a great sinner because that is the express reason that I came to this earth as the Son of Man, to seek and to save those who are lost in sin. Now, if you had taken a poll in Israel in Jesus' day, you would have found that tax collectors were not popular fellows. They were considered scum of the earth. For personal gain, they served Rome, uh, taking unfair advantage of all of their countrymen. Now, Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. Luke tells us that he was a chief tax collector, which made people despise him all the more. The average tax-paying citizen would have said, if I could get that little runt alone in an alley by himself, if he would live through it, he would certainly change jobs. Well, in light of the public hatred of tax collectors, it's rather significant that every time they're mentioned in the book of Luke, it's in a favorable light. In fact, Jesus picked one, Levi, also known as Matthew. He was a tax collector to be one of his 12 apostles. This shows Jesus' heart for sinners and the transforming power of his saving grace. Now, Luke tells the story of Zacchaeus shortly after the story of the rich young ruler. All right, Tyler covered this just a few weeks ago. After that, that young man, that rich young ruler, walked away from salvation because he wanted to cling to his riches, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
In fact, it is impossible. And Tyler taught us about that. that they, Jesus says that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he was being literal there. In other words, you can't do it. But then Jesus says the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So the story of Zacchaeus shows us the salvation of a rich man by God's grace and his power. Now, if you follow Jesus, then your purpose should be his purpose. It's that simple. If you don't yet follow Jesus, then Zacchaeus' response to Jesus should be your response this morning. And this story shows us that since Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, sinners should respond to his call quickly with joyful repentance. That's what we see in Zacchaeus. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father. Thank you so much for just a, uh, a poignant story that uh, shows us a rich man getting saved. That in your sovereignty, you sought out Zacchaeus, Lord, and, and brought him to know you through your son, Jesus. And we are grateful for that. It gives us hope today because, in fact, we are all sinners. And we all stand equally at the foot of the cross, condemned. But through Jesus, your son, we can be saved. We give you praise and glory for that. I ask that you would do a work in our hearts in this morning that would help us to see that, to understand it, to embrace it, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, first at why Jesus came to the earth. We've already talked about that a little bit. But then we're going to show how sinners should respond to the Savior. So first thing we notice is Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So first we're going to look at the fact that Christ came to seek the lost. Now, Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man. That's his favorite way to refer to himself in the book of Luke. Now, although it took great condescension for Jesus to lay aside all of the glories of heaven and to, to take on a human nature, he always delighted in being a man. In Jesus, we see perfect humanity apart from sin, living in total dependence on the Father. Now, Son of Man emphasizes that Jesus was in every way human except for our sin. Now, he used it in increasing frequency as he anticipated the cross. So, its meaning for him was inextricably bound up with his work of redemption. And that's what he says in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, the title also affirms the full deity of the Lord. Jesus used it for referring to the fact that he existed in heaven before descending to earth. And that he would again one day ascend back to heaven. He used it to assert that the Father had given him all authority to execute judgment. He said that as the Son of Man, he had the authority on earth to forgive sins. Boy, do you remember what a ruckus that caused? He used it often in reference to his second coming in power and glory. In fact, at his trial, the high priest implored him by the living God to tell them whether he was the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you. Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of glory. Now he was quoting Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 and applying it to himself. And when he did that, the priest accused him of blasphemy. Remember he says, whoa, that's blasphemy. Do we have, do we have any need to hear any more testimony against him? He's just blasphemed. Now, if Jesus did not mean that as the Son of Man, he was the Son of God, he would have corrected the priest's mistaken words and absolved himself of the charge. But 
By letting it stand, Jesus affirmed that they were correct, that the Son of Man is, in fact, the Son of God. When Jesus says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, he was referring to the fact that as the second person of the Trinity, he had taken on human flesh and he had come, on, come to this earth to offer himself in the place of sinners. He took our penalty on himself so that we could be saved from the penalty that we justly deserve. God wouldn't have taken such extreme measures as the incarnation and the death of his only begotten son if lost people were able to save themselves. And they're lost, so they must be sought and they must be found. So Christ came to seek the lost. Let's talk about some of the ways that he seeks. First, Christ seeks the lost by taking the initiative. Zacchaeus wasn't seeking Christ. Christ was seeking him. Now, we're not told what motivated this despised little fella to, to find, fight the crowds in order to see Jesus that day. Most commentators agree that he was probably merely curious. Perhaps he had heard that this teacher had chosen a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Uh, perhaps he heard the common complaint of the Pharisees and even others that this man socialized with notorious sinners. Who doesn't want to see somebody like that? Now, hearing uh, that news may have given Zacchaeus just a glimmer of hope. Perhaps his guilty conscience nagged him and he thought, you know, maybe this Jesus can forgive my sins. But whatever tugged at Zacchaeus to fight the crowds and, and finally climb into that tree so that he could see Jesus... It's not because he was first seeking Jesus. It was because Jesus was first seeking him. We know this is true because the Bible plainly tells us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. In John chapter 6, Jesus himself plainly taught, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he repeats the same, uh, the same type of message in the context just a few verses later. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. If Zacchaeus was in that tree to seek Jesus, it was because the Father was drawing him to Jesus. Now, we don't know if Zacchaeus would have been content to just get a glimpse of Jesus. That's what he went there for, he thought. Uh, but Jesus didn't give him uh, a chance. We didn't have a chance to find that out. Jesus could have passed right under that sycamore tree and just kept right on going. The crowd was thronging around him. He was headed to Jerusalem. Um, he was passing through Jericho, headed to Jerusalem and the cross. But when our Lord came to that particular place, he took the initiative. He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus had wanted to see Jesus but he had no real clue that really Jesus wanted to see him. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ does not leave it to ourselves to seek him or else it would be left indeed. For so vile is human nature that although heaven be offered and though hell thunder in our ears, yet there never was and there never will be any man who unconstrained by sovereign grace will run in the way of salvation and so escape from hell and flee to heaven. Now, that's Spurgeon's way of saying, yeah, we cannot save ourselves. We have to have Jesus. So if you're seeking God today in any way, you can know that it's only because in the Savior's kindness, uh, He took the initiative to seek you first. Well, second, Christ seeks the lost personally and particularly. 
we don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, whether it was just by divine omniscience, right? We know he's God, or whether somebody told him. Uh, but of all the people in that great crowd, the Savior zeroed in on this one little man. There were probably some kids up in the tree with him or, or, or trees nearby, and yet Jesus focused on this chief tax collector. Now, on several other occasions, Jesus accepted the hospitality of others uh, and went to their house and ate with them and dined with them and what have you. Uh, this is the only recorded instance where he invited himself to somebody else's house. That's pretty bold, isn't it? He was going after Zacchaeus personally. Now, Jesus doesn't call the mass of humanity to himself, hoping against hope that somehow, somewhere, someone will respond and come to him. Rather, he calls individuals by name, and his call is effectual. That simply means it's, it powerfully accomplishes its purpose. He saw Matthew sitting in the tax booth, and he said, follow me. What did Matthew do? He got right up, followed Jesus. He saw Peter and Andrew fishing and said, follow me. Immediately, they left their nets and began following Jesus. Just a, a few, uh, just a shortly after that, he saw James and John mending their nets with their father in their boats. And he said, follow me. They left their boats, they left their nets, they left their business, they left their father, and they followed Jesus. Have you had that experience where the Spirit of God was dealing with your soul? Perhaps you were listening to a sermon and you felt like, it, you know, that it was aimed directly at you. I promise you, that is not the preacher. It happens often. But that's not the preacher. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus calling you very personally and individually. Perhaps even now you can hear the Savior calling you by name and saying, follow me. Now, Jesus Christ seeks the lost individually by name, and he calls them into a personal relationship with himself. Well, not only does Christ seek the lost, Christ came to save the lost. Salvation simply refers to God rescuing a perishing soul from God's eternal wrath and judgment, which the person deserves due to his own sin. Now, Christ doesn't just seek the lost and then try to persuade them to decide to accept him as Savior. He seeks and saves the lost. He announced regarding Zacchaeus, today, salvation has come to this house. Now, this shows us three things about Christ saving us. Number one, Christ actually saves the lost. In other words, he didn't just come to make salvation possible for everyone but rather to make salvation actual for those the Father had given to him. In John 6, 37, Jesus declared, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And then he adds, And this is the will of him that sent me, meaning the Father, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So whoever God gives to the Son will come to Jesus. Well, when Jesus told Zacchaeus, today I must stay at your house, it is a must of divine necessity. It's the same must of John 4, 4. Do you remember back there where it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria? Why? He easily could have walked around Samaria, which is what every other Jew did. No, no self-respecting Jew would walk through Samaria. Well, 
He had a divine appointment there, remember, with the woman at the well and with the people of Sychar. Well, if Christ's reasons for coming into this world was to seek and to save those whom the Father had given him before the foundation of the world, then that intention will be accomplished. His purpose in saving the lost is never frustrated by the rebellious will of the sinners. Well, number two here, Christ saved the lost, not the found. <laughs> He's seeking and saving the lost. Now, you may be thinking, how do I know that Christ will save me in particular? Well, do you see yourself as lost? Do you know that apart from God's grace, you would justly spend eternity in hell? Do you recognize that if God left you to yourself, you would never seek Him, you would never believe in Him? If so, the, the good news is, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. He died for the ungodly. If the words lost, sinner, or ungodly, if they fit you, then you can have hope because Christ came to save such people from their sins. But if you say, well, I have my faults, but I'm not lost, guess what? I cannot offer you a Savior. Jesus came to save the lost. If you say, I'm only a human, a human, of course, but I'm not a sinner, well, then Christ did not come to save you. He came into this world to save sinners. If you say, I know that I've done plenty of wrong things, but I really wouldn't call myself ungodly, well, I'm afraid that Christ did not die for you. Scripture is very clear that Christ died for the ungodly. Well, third, Christ assures those whom he saves. Jesus proclaims, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, he doesn't mean that every member of Zacchaeus' family automatically got saved because Zacchaeus did. A man's salvation does not extend to his wife or to his children unless they personally repent and believe. The salvation is always individual. It is always personal. But when the head of a household believes... The entire household comes under the influence of the gospel. And in that sense, the family is set apart from the unbelieving world. When Jesus says that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, he doesn't mean simply that he is a Jew by birth, which he was. He meant it in a spiritual sense, that Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was now a true son of Abraham. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3. He says, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So if you have faith in Jesus today, Paul says you are one of the true sons of Abraham. Now Jesus used that phrase because the Pharisees, they self-righteously thought that they were right with God because they were physical descendants of Abraham and outwardly they kept the law. But Jesus is saying that this sinner that, that they despised so much was a true son of Abraham possessing salvation because like Abraham, Zacchaeus believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Folks, that's one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. It's Genesis 15, 6. Abraham goes out and looks at the stars and said, you can count them if you can. So numerous are your descendants going to be. And verse 6 says, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Folks, that's how we're all saved, by believing what God says. Well, 
Jesus proclaimed Zacchaeus' salvation before the crowd, in Zacchaeus' presence, to give him assurance of God's forgiveness. You can be sure that as soon as Jesus left, Satan would come to Zacchaeus and say, Ah, it was just a flash in the pan. You know how wicked your heart is. How can you call yourself a child of God? Has Satan ever said that to you? Says it to me regularly. That's his number one tactic. is turning our sin against us. The self-righteous crowd there that day, they would have taunted him saying, Oh, so you've become a follower of Jesus now, have you? It won't last. Just wait. You go back to your old cheating, greedy ways. But whom the Lord saves, he keeps. And whom he keeps, he assures repeatedly with his love and kindness that they are his children forever. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 8. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Satan, of course. Neighbors, friends, co-workers, a boss. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. In other words, if, if you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care who, bring a charge, who brings a charge against you. It's nothing. Even if that somebody is Satan, it doesn't matter. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Jesus even prays for us as his children. Then he goes on to show that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Since salvation then is totally of God, are we to sit back and do nothing? Well, clearly not. The same Bible that says that we cannot seek God commands us to seek God. We should respond to God's command as Zacchaeus did. Now, second major point here, sinners should respond to Christ's call quickly with joyful repentance. Perhaps you came to church today without much sense of your need for salvation. Like Zacchaeus, maybe you were curious. But now you realize that you are a sinner and that the Lord Jesus is calling you to come down out of that tree where you were perched to watch the parade. He wants, you, he wants to come and stay at your house. So what do you do? Well, A, you should respond with haste. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come on down. Yeah, it's not necessarily easy to hurry down out of a tree, but Jesus told him to hurry, and Zacchaeus hurried and came down. I don't know if he jumped down or whether he scratched himself on the branches as he made his way down, but he didn't waste any time. Neither should you. The Bible says, now is the day of salvation. It also say, says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You may not have tomorrow. If you put off responding to Christ's call, you may be in hell tomorrow. Even if you get scratched up, you need to hurry down out of that tree that you're in. Well, B, you should also respond, uh, respond with obedience. Jesus commanded and Zacchaeus responded. He didn't debate with Jesus. Who? Me? Do you, do you know anything about my past? He didn't protest that, no, well, I'm not really the religious type. He didn't say, you know, I've got some important appointments at my tax office that I need to attend to. Can we do this some other time? No, he obeyed. If Christ is calling you himself, don't debate with him. Don't, don't strive with him. Simply obey. We'll see. You should respond with joy. 
Zacchaeus received him gladly is the word that's used. It literally means rejoicing. He was up there in the tree enjoying the parade when suddenly Jesus stopped and looked up at him. Imagine Zacchaeus, uh-oh, what's Jesus going to say now? Is he going to condemn me for my cheating, greedy ways? Is he going to hold me up as a bad example? But then Zacchaeus looked at Jesus, and what did he see? He saw a smile on his face. Instead of a condemning look, Jesus' eyes twinkled. Then he heard Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus rejoiced. Well, even so, when the reality of God's grace floods your soul, guess what? Great joy will be your response. And then D, you should respond with repentance. Zacchaeus says faith, it's not mentioned explicitly or directly, but it is evident by his repentance. We don't know exactly what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about when they got to his home that day, but the fruit of it is evident. Zacchaeus announces, probably in front of the crowd, that he is giving half of his possessions to the poor and he's repaying those whom he had defrauded fourfold. Now that's a big deal, y'all. When you defrauded somebody in the Old Testament or, or those under the Old Testament law, the reparation, what you had to pay back was what you took plus one-fifth. He's paying back four times what he defrauded. Lord has really got hold of him. One of the surest tests of genuine repentance is when God gets hold of your money. In America, we tend to cling to our money, don't we? We work for it. It's ours. No, it's God's. Zacchaeus recognized it. Well, I hope that you see that through Zacchaeus that, that, that Jesus Christ is a great Savior for great sinners. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the worst of sinners. If you will respond to his call with joyful repentance, you'll hear him pronounce concerning you today, salvation has come to this house. Now, I pray that those of us who know his great salvation will ask him to use us in seeking and saving those who are lost. That's, that's our job now. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful once again just for... Uh, the truth of your word, uh, we thank you for this story of Zacchaeus, Lord, who was a rich man. And we've seen that it is hard for the rich man to uh, enter into heaven. And yet, by your power, by your grace and mercy, you went after Zacchaeus. And uh, Jesus, we are grateful for that. Thank you that you call us by name and that that calling is effectual, Father. Um, pray that if there's anybody out here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would hear that call. And like Zacchaeus, they would obey. So God, just speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to uh, take a moment and share with you uh, the gospel through something we call the three circles. I want you to be familiar with this because you're going to have an opportunity to use this at some point. And if you hear it enough, what's, what's the key to uh, real estate? No, you, I'm going there next. What's the key to real estate? Location, location, location. What's the, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, yeah. Uh, huh? 
Yeah, what's the key to memorization? There you go. Thank you. I couldn't read the more key. Repetition, repetition, repetition. So Sunday by Sunday, we're going to, I'm going to be up here doing this just so that it becomes familiar to you. Uh, we all recognize that the world is broken. It's easy to see that. Everywhere you look, you see that. How many of you also see that mm, not only is the world broken, I am broken. I am not functioning exactly like I should. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about bodily, physically. I'm talking about your knowledge that, yes, some things are not right in your life. Life is broken. It wasn't created that way. Okay? Uh, however long ago, when God created the heavens and the earth, everything after Adam and Eve, he saw, was very good. It was sinless. It was a perfect design. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And that's what has resulted in this brokenness. This brokenness is evident in our own lives when we try to remedy it. When we try to fix it. When we try different things. Maybe it's to become the most popular guy at school. Maybe it's to become the, the fastest partner at the law firm. Maybe it's to have the biggest house in the church. Who knows? Uh, maybe it's just you're going to numb yourself with alcohol and drugs and, 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 and whatever. We try to fix that brokenness. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our heart. There's only one thing that is going to fill that void that is missing, and it is something eternal. Only God can satisfactorily fill that hole. So how is it that we get out of this state of brokenness? Well, God sent His Son Jesus into the world to uh, live a sinless life, to die on the cross for the sins of man, and then He ascended back into heaven. So the way that we can go from our broken state uh, to Jesus and be more like Him is two simple things. is to turn and to believe. Okay, the biblical word is to repent. It just means to turn from our sin. Turn our back on our sin and turn to God. And then believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. That He died, that He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. And when we do that, then we're headed back toward God's perfect design where we recover some of that original uh, intent that God uh, created us with. And then we grow to be more Christ-like. And then finally, having realized uh, that we're now more, becoming more like Christ, He sends us back into the world to, let, to address the brokenness that's still out there. All right? Maybe he's brought healing to your life and he's going to use you through the gospel to bring healing to somebody else's life. So just as Jesus came to seek and save the lost, guess what? That is now our job as believers to seek and to save the lost. So if you're out there this morning and you know that you do not belong to God, I encourage you, uh, trust in Jesus. Forsake your sin, turn from it. Come to God through His Son, Jesus. He'll hear you. He'll save you today. If you're a believer, I hope that it just hits home that, yeah, this is, this is why God left us. If it was all just about being saved, then He could just take us out. As soon as we got saved, He could take us out of the world and take us on to heaven. No, He left us here because we have a work to do. And that word is to spread the good news. I hope you're doing that as a believer. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.